no fear. All right. Are you struggling with fear? It's easy for us to fall into that struggle when we're surrounded by a world that's filled with fear. Amen? It's easy for us to find ourselves feeling that anxiousness, that concern maybe not even for our life, but just for the interactions, perhaps for the people that we know. I think about how much fear has been generated by our culture currently in our world. Um, the, the division, the, the battles that are being waged, both medically, scientifically, what is true about the virus? <laughs> what is true about how we're getting through this? What's on the other side? What's true about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask? What's true? What's true? What's true? There's this battle that's being fought. But not just scientifically. There's a battle being fought politically as well. And we sense this tension every time we go to social media, every time we watch the news, every time we even have a conversation with a friend that we thought we saw eye to eye with. There's this tension about, I think, what is true. Truth has become a battleground. So much so that we are hesitant so often as Christians to stand on the truth of God's word. It's almost like so often, and this is not pointing, I do this too, it's so often we like are almost apologizing for the truth of Jesus. Like, we feel like we've got to somehow try to defend Jesus and his reality. And fear fills our hearts. We're, we're worried about how people are going to respond to us if we wear a mask or if we don't wear a mask. We're worried about how people are going to respond to us if we vote for one person or the other. We worry about how people respond if we were to stand up and say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and he's the only way. Are you filled with fear? The only way through is an intimate, loving relationship with Jesus. To zero our focus there to trust him, to not allow this world to be what we're concerned about. The world is always secondary. We have to allow Jesus to be primary, to believe and to accept the reality that my relationship being right with Jesus is the only thing that matters. And that if it is right, it does not matter if everyone in the world turns their back on me. Because I have hope. I have tomorrow. 
In the midst of this pandemic, we have been forced as Christians to face these realities. What are we going to allow to drive us? Our fear or our love for Jesus? We are being told by this world to shut up, to not voice your opinion unless it fits with the PC culture. Especially as Christians, we're told to be quiet, to stand down, to just keep your religion to yourself. Are we going to listen to that? Are we going to stand on Jesus? He is our victory. He's our only hope. Think about what Jesus has done for you. Has he turned his back on you? Did he let you down? Did when it come to catch those nails in his hands and in his feet, did he say, ah, maybe not? Or did he stand and even take death to be seen as a fool by the world? We're at the final message on this series on the Beatitudes. And at the beginning of this final message, I want to remind us of something that I've been trying to remind you regularly throughout, but just one last time, about some important perspectives when it comes to these Beatitudes. First of all, that these attitudes are not attitudes that we can just strive for and accomplish on our own. They're not something that we can make happen. There's not something that we can say, oh, I really want to have that characteristic. I really want to have that attitude, and so I'm going to put in the effort to get there. These attitudes only come through confrontation. Only when we're faced with the failures of this world and our own attempts to live by the rules of this world will these attitudes have an opportunity to begin to develop. And even then, just because we're confronted doesn't mean that we receive them. We also have to do something with that confrontation, and that, of course, is to turn to Jesus. And this is the reality that we've seen in this series, is that blessings come in the midst of trials and struggle and confrontation. We so often want our life to be just filled with ease, we just want our life to be filled with, you know, just the good things and never have a confrontation, never have to struggle. But we don't realize that Jesus has allowed struggle and confrontation in our world in order to help us to recognize that the world is flawed and that we can only survive when we surrender to Jesus. Confrontations are God's purposeful call into us, each one of us, individually. Sometimes, certainly, there are worldwide confrontations or community-wide confrontations or church or family-wide confrontations that we experience, all of us, but so often, each of those are meant to be individual, that God is speaking individually to our hearts and confronting us on the perspectives that we have. When life falls apart, 
Jesus, or God calls us to Jesus. One final piece of this, because we recognize that confrontation leads to the potential for someone accepting Jesus as Lord, confrontation is the signal of evangelism. It lets us know where God's at work. It allow, it's the signal that we should be looking for. It's the flare that gets fired up that means that we as Christians, when we see someone shoot up a flare, we should be going to them because there is an opportunity for them to surrender to Christ. Not only are Christians meant to accept the confrontations that come in this world and see them as blessings, but also we should be seeking to engage in other people's confrontations because they have the opportunity to accept Jesus, but only if there's someone who knows Jesus to tell them about Jesus, to show them his love. These beatitudes are not attitudes that we can strive for and create on our own. They only come through confrontation. The blessing of confrontation is that we get an opportunity to surrender our life from fully to Jesus. And those who are in the midst of confrontation are the ones that we need to seek to share the gospel with. As Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need the doctor, it's the sick. It's those who are in the midst of confrontation. So those important perspectives once again highlighted, we come to the final beatitude. Matthew, again, chapter 5. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted... For righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> you know, we look at this, and this is a kind of a weird one, right? I mean, a lot of the Beatitudes were like, you know, I kind of want that. That'd be fun, kind of cool to have, right? I mean, to be meek, you know, I mean, that's, that's a challenge, but we're like, yeah, yeah, that'd be kind of cool to be meek, right? I mean, that'd be all right. To be merciful? Yeah, we can get that. I mean, that makes kind of sense, right? You know, show mercy and you receive mercy. I'd like to be merciful that sounds all right persecuted <laughs> no thanks and and this final beatitude is interesting as well because it's not really i mean we wouldn't normally characterize the persecuted as or being persecuted as like an attitude or a characteristic or a character trait right so tell me about you know yourself well i'm I'm uh, very, uh, I'm very charismatic. I, I love Jesus, and and uh, I'm an extrovert. I really like to be outgoing and be in people's, you know, and just like, interact with people. I love people. It's great. And um, I, yeah, I don't know. I I'm persecuted. Um, that's one of the things that I am. Uh, you're right. I mean, it's just not normally how we would describe ourselves, right? As being the persecuted, right? But this is this attitude. Why is this an attitude? Why is this a characteristic of those who love Jesus? Isaiah 53 kind of answers this in some sense. It's considered the suffering servant chapter. Passage that 
talks about Jesus and the fact that he's going to die for us. He's going to give his life for us. He's going to suffer for us. He's going to come as a servant. He's going to come and give his life freely. That he's going to be considered an outcast by humanity. He's going to be ignored and kind of pushed out, but so much because he won't be ignored, they, they end up crucifying him and piercing him for our transgressions. We see that this is definitely a characteristic of Jesus. One of his key characteristics is that he's persecuted. He's one who receives persecution And so we as Christians, of course, should uh, be thinking, oh, yeah, okay, well, and we know the passage as well, you know, the world hate, hated me, so they're probably going to hate you, right? I mean, uh, John 15, John 16, some of these passages that are in there, right? You know, so we get this idea, right, that, okay, Jesus suffered, and, and so we need to suffer as well and be willing to suffer as well. But more than that, there's this reality that we need to not suffer with a sense of dread. We Christians are, we do this sometimes, and it's, it's, it's counter to what we see the disciples do in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 41. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then let them go. Then the apostles left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I, I think that this perspective, this, this joy that comes in suffering, I think it's the key for us to move past allowing the fear of this world to dictate how we respond, to, to silence us. And I don't mean that we go around looking for persecution. I don't mean that we spend our life, you know, just trying to up, you know, to upset the apple cart, right? You know, that we're trying to, you know, just poke people and do whatever we can to get them to be mad at us or whatever. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But, I, but when we understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us and what he suffered for us, for us to be living our life for Jesus and then face suffering as a result, what a joy. Do we realize that salvation, we have no opportunity to earn that salvation? There is nothing that is demanded of us after we bow our knee to Jesus to do, I mean, it's like there's no, you know, this is the amazing aspect of grace, right? That, that we don't have to change our life, that there's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to get his attention, to get his more of his praise or more of his acceptance or more of his spirit. When we bow our knee to Jesus, we have it all. And so for us to have something that we can go, wow, I'm suffering for Jesus. Like, 
it feel like there's like, this is real. (laughs) This is really what it means to be a Christian, to identify with Jesus in this, to recognize it's his love for us that caused him to continue to pursue us even when it cost him his life. That we as well would recognize it's our love for him that causes us to continue to pursue him, even if it does cost us our life. So the beatitude of persecuted, of being persecuted, like the other beatitudes, is not something that we can create on our own. It only comes through confrontation. And the confrontation is with foolishness. You see, at some point in our life, as we seek to live according to the rules of this world, we will get to a point where, by God's grace, we go, this doesn't make sense. You know, after we've spent our life focused on our career, trying to bring security to our family and to our own life, to to be able to get to that point where maybe we can even retire early, but at least be able to retire and have maybe 10 or 15 years at the end of my life where we don't have to, you know, worry about work or anything. We could just kind of do whatever we want, that we can have this, you know, maybe uh, inheritance to be able to pass down to our kids and to be able to move on from that and be able to recognize all these amazing gifts. And we get to a certain point where we realize, oh my gosh, what am I doing? can't take this with me. At some point we go, wait a second, actually, it doesn't really matter what I spent my life doing in business. What about the relationships? I've destroyed my relationships with my family, with my spouse. I don't have any friends because I don't spend any time on those relationships. I mean, there's at some point in our careers where we recognize, oh my gosh, work is really not what it's all about. That there are other things that we should be concerned with and that work actually is just something we do, but it's not who we are. As well, maybe some of us spend our life for fame, wanting everyone to be able to recognize us, to know us, to know our name, to be known, to, to, to be an author that people read, to be someone's in the entertainment world and people can see where you can have an impact in, in the world of fashion or whatever it may be. And so we, we beat our bodies to make sure that we look a certain way so that we can fit that mold, so that we can be acceptable to the world. And then at some point we realize, wait a second, There's not enough surgeries to be able to get rid of all the wrinkles on my forehead. (laughs) We realize that the world has failed us. But more than that, that to strive after the things of this world is just foolishness. They're not important. I mean, it's not that they're bad, but they're not what life is about. That fashion and business, 
that politics is not what the world is about. Now, many of us Christians can go, oh, well, you know, but I'm, I'm a Christian. So, you know, I'm not going after those things. But how many of us have substituted those things for another thing that is actually of the world as well, and that is religion? We've been striving to look like we're a really good Christian, like we do all the things that we're supposed to do. You know, we show up on Sunday mornings even early, even for prayer meeting. Oh my gosh, I am so holy. And then I usually stay for second service because I'm helping out with the children's ministry. And then afterwards, I usually invite somebody over to my house because, you know, hospitality, I got to be hospitable, right? And so we do lunch. I mean, uh, you know what I'm saying? We live this life of religion, and it's a substitute for the things of this world, but it's just as foolish as everything else. Matthew, in chapter, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says there's going to be a lot of people that in, get to the end of their life and they say, hey, Jesus, look at, you know, look at all these amazing things I did for you, man. Look at all the Sunday school classes I taught. Look at all the church services I went to. Look at all the people that I had over to my house. Look at all the amazing miracles that I did. And what does Jesus say he's going to say to some of these people? Away from me, because I never knew you. It wasn't about the religion. It wasn't about the Sunday school. It wasn't about that. It's about me. At some point in our life, as a non-Christian, again, by the grace of God, we will be confronted by the foolishness of this world. But even today, as Christians, we may still be wrapped up into the, the foolishness of the world and think that it's wise. Again, we are surrounded by the world. That's where we spend most of our time throughout the week. And it keeps telling us the same things. You've got to work. You've got to have a career. You've got to have all this money. You've got to have these you know, things taken care of. You've got to have a reputation. You've got to have all of this stuff that the world says you need to have. You've got to have cars and a house. Got to, anyway, all of this stuff. You've got to look good. And we as Christians need to recognize, because maybe we're getting confronted by this right now. Again, this is the beautiful thing about the confrontation of the pandemic, is that all of these things that even us Christians have been zeroing our focus on and have been living for, doing this duplicitous thing where we think, oh, you know what, I can have just enough of Jesus, but also get all the, you know, the benefits of this world. And this pandemic shows up and it's like, okay, what are you going to do? Who, what side are you on? Who are you going to choose? And let's make it really clear, matter of fact. Let's divide things so clearly that it's really, you know what is right and wrong. You know where Jesus is and where the world is. Everywhere you turn, on the news, social media, even just driving down the street or going to the store, you're going to notice, okay, what side am I going to choose? The foolishness of the world or the foolishness that is Jesus. The typical response for those who have been confronted by the foolishness of the world is basically two things that I'm identifying here today. Maybe there's more, but these are a couple. First of all, they cling to the foolishness. After perhaps decades of buying into the foolishness of the world, even when they're confronted with the reality that it is foolishness, some of us really struggle to let it go. 
To, to let it go, in essence, means that our whole life was maybe wasted on this foolishness. And so instead of facing that reality that our whole life had been lived for something that's not real, we just cling to the foolishness. No, this is real. <laughs> we just reject the idea. No, this is not foolishness. Even though we know it, even though we recognize it, and even though our hearts are telling us this is true, we will cling to the foolishness. And part of that is we will destroy any who challenge what we believe. Tear them down. They're the foolish ones. They're the arrogant ones. They're the uneducated ones. They're the evil ones. Certainly we as Christians have experienced this clearly, even in our world today, in, our, in America today. Christianity is seen as foolishness. What are you doing? Why would you believe Jesus is the only way? That's really arrogant, actually, you know, there's a lot of ways to God. Why is your religion so special? Oh, you know, those Christians, they're just so uneducated. I mean, probably never gone to college. They have no idea what is real. I mean, we're so far beyond that religious mumbo-jumbo stuff. We've got other better ways of living nowadays. You, you don't need God as a crutch anymore. We've got, we can do this ourselves. Or even to the point, again, of evil. Christian, Christians are the most evil people on the planet in some people's minds, so judgmental. Those Christians always standing on the Scripture, on the Bible. Well, the Bible says this. The Bible says, well, yeah, whatever. Who says that? Because the Bible is just written by a bunch of people, and it's so evil. I mean, can you? Oh, so we have a God who allows a pandemic to happen, right? And all of these millions of people getting sick, and some are dying. I mean, it's just, this is crazy. This is the God you believe in? If that's the kind of God you believe in, then you believe in evil. So the typical response is first to cling to our foolishness, to destroy any that would challenge that foolishness, whether it be religious or whether it just be you know, someone who's not religious, who's just like saying, hey man, there's more to life than your job. The other response is despair. Maybe after decades again of living for the world, getting to that point at the end of our life where we go, oh my gosh, I've spent my whole life for this, and it has no value. As a matter of fact, tomorrow has no value. And so we begin to despair But if there is a Christian somewhere in, around who happens to know this person who has been confronted by foolishness, and that Christian has the courage, the awareness to see the signs, if they step in and they share the love of Jesus, then that person has a chance to live a life of value and purpose to join in relationship with a God who redeems even the years that we wasted. This confrontation then allows us to be inspired to seek truth. 
We want to know what's real. When we realize what we've been living for is foolishness, and it's not real, like it's, it's, just, it's, it's not important, right? When we recognize that, we want to know what is real, what is true. We begin to search for true wisdom. What is life really about? And that's when we can find the one who is true, Jesus. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is why Christians stand on this, because the verse goes on, and no one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus says. There is only one way to God. There is only one truth, and that is Jesus. It's found in Jesus. Life is about fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus. This is the vision statement of our church because I believe that everything else doesn't matter, that if we don't get this right, then everything else is just foolishness. It has no meaning, it has no purpose, it has no no benefit to us. But when we get this right, then everything we do after that then becomes filled with meaning and purpose and value. It is about enjoying our relationship with Jesus as much as we can, as much as he will allow, because he is the one true, the one who is true. But to follow Jesus does require a sacrifice. Luke chapter 9, familiar passage, 23-25. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For, who would, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So coming to Jesus in the moment when we have been confronted by the foolishness of the world, again, leads to surrender. All of these beatitudes comes down to surrender, to to giving up our own perspective, to give up the world's perspective, to give up our life for Jesus. That we would begin to live according to his perspectives, that it's his attitudes that we get in this when we surrender to him. The result of accepting his truth is this reality that we will begin to live differently from the world. See, persecution, we don't have to go seeking it. Once we've surrendered our life to Jesus and actually begin to live out of that perspective, we're going to get persecuted because we're going to live differently than the world. Now, granted, most of my life I grew up in an America where Christian values were still pretty much highly esteemed. And so for me to live out my faith didn't cause, cause a lot of persecution. Did certainly face some, but not a ton. 
However, in the climate that we are in currently, we're recognizing that more and more those who live out their life for Christ are going to face this kind of persecution. But we are meant to live differently than the world. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the life that we're called to, to be transformed, to think things differently, to not allow our, it doesn't matter how many years we've been in this world, not allow the world to indoctrinate us, but allow Jesus to indoctrinate us with this reality and truth, because he is a truth teller. He is one we can trust, the world we can't trust, the news we can't trust, our politicians we can't trust. Even now it seems like our scientists we can't trust now because we're getting information from so many different directions. And so what do we do? How do we find truth? How do we know what we can trust? We go to Jesus. He is the one who knows it all, sees it all. He's the one with truth. And so we allow him to conform our perspectives And then we can stand firm on this truth in Jesus. Another reality of this current season that we're in is that Christians are being forced off of the fence. It is getting harder and harder for us to stand on that fence and have one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus. But the truth is, only when we are standing firm in Jesus will we be able to survive whatever is to come. Only when we're standing on Jesus will we be able to live out this Christian life that we're called to. Certainly persecution from the world will come. To follow Jesus, no doubt, includes suffering. Romans chapter 8, one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, providing we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. This is the reality that to follow Jesus includes to be one of the persecuted. We're different than the world, and so the, dirt, the world, just like it rejected Jesus, is going to reject us. We're challenging the world's wisdom. We're calling them out and saying, no, 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 you've got this all wrong. And they don't like to hear that. Again, they're clinging to their foolishness. And so they're going to attack anyone who doesn't live according to their rules. They're going to attack anyone who tries to proclaim there's another truth out there or that there's some kind of absolute truth. That there is a moral standard that has been created in heaven, not on earth. And for those of us who have surrendered our life to Jesus and have chose to live this life of surrender, sacrifice, and persecution, this beatitude tells us that we will receive the kingdom of heaven. 
there's this reality in this moment that, that I think kind of fits together with this kingdom, eternal kingdom peace. That, that we, when we surrender ourselves to Jesus, when we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, we enter a new reality, a new kingdom. We become citizens of the eternal kingdom, and we're no longer citizens of this world. And so we begin to live differently even now. Jesus' prayer, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is the prayer, right? That we would be living out the kingdom realities in this world today, knowing that this world is going to reject these kingdom realities until they fall into that foolishness and are confronted with the foolishness of the world and are looking for answers, and we are there to provide them Jesus. All right, worship team, why don't you come up? Let's close with a couple of thoughts, questions again. But I, I will note on the back of the sermon notes, I, I, I have all of the Beatitudes there for you to take with you, just kind of a reminder maybe of all of the messages on this. Um, I won't read them from up front, but I encourage you to take a look at that, just kind of my perspective uh, the preaching perspective that we've had as we've gone through these Beatitudes. Are you being confronted by the foolishness of this world? Have you been living according to the rules of this world? Have you been trying to ride that fence, one foot in God's kingdom, one foot, foot in the world? And now, because of maybe everything and all the disruptions, are you facing this reality that this is foolishness? What am I doing? Why do I keep doing this? Maybe another question to ask as well is, what of this world do you find yourself most tempted to live for? See, even as Christians, we still have the world around us, and there's this temptation to think that that's the answer, and that we can go and be a part of that and allow that to drive us. Also, are you suffering with joy? Are you being persecuted with joy? Are you willing to be persecuted for Jesus? How long, church? How long are we going to continue to try to be seen as acceptable by the world? How often, how long are we going to continue to make apologies for the truth that is Jesus? Are, are, are you done yet? You know, this duplicity that cuts us right in half, it's so hard to walk that line. Throughout the week, we're afraid that people are going to recognize that we're actually, you know, real Christians. And then on Sunday mornings, we're worried that the people are going to actually see that we're, you know, maybe actually living for the world. And it's like, you know, last week, we were just wearing this mask Everywhere we go, there's, there's no like realness to us, no truth to us. 
Because when we're at church, we're faking being Christian, and when we're in the world, we're faking being the real world. We're nothing. We're neither one. So, so how long are we going to continue to ride this fence? How long are we going to continue to try to you know, be accepted by the world? The reality is, as Christ followers, we will not be accepted by this world. And instead of being afraid of that, the quicker that we just embrace this reality and say, Jesus, no matter what, I'm going to proclaim your truth in love everywhere I go. That I'm not going to be shy about sharing the love of Jesus because someone may die without you simply because I was too shy or thought that, you know, maybe this wasn't a real thing because I wanted to be accepted by my friends or mother of this world, right? That I wanted to somehow make it and fit in. We are not meant to fit into this world. We're meant to fit into Jesus. That is what we've been created for. So church, how long? How long are we going to hide the gospel in our own hearts instead of allowing the gospel to be seen for all, whether they're looking for Jesus or not? Heavenly Father, uh, you know so many of us in this place today have a heart to follow you, to to suffer for you, to, to surrender our life to you, to, to go wherever you lead. There's so many of us that are in that perspective. Our heart's desire is that, and, and yet we are held back for something. We, we, we can't do it on our own, and so, Lord, we've got to come to you and say, Jesus, help me, that you would be the one and will be the one who ignites our heart. You'll be the one who drives that passion for the lost so deep that we can't keep quiet anymore. You're the one who will give us the direction. You're the one who will reveal to us the one who is ready to hear your love and to receive it. So Lord, even though we recognize that this is uh, synergistic, we've got a role to play in it, we also recognize that you have a huge role in this as well. So, Lord, drive us once again to our knees, but, Lord, help us not to stay there. Get us up off of our knees and get us into this world to stand firmly on your truth, to have a passion for you that is overflowing so that we can't even be quiet about it. That this, the, the first thing that comes to our mind when we begin a conversation is how can I work a comment about Jesus into this conversation? How can I talk about Jesus? How can I tell this person more about what Jesus is doing in my life? Change this, Lord. Make us more like you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and following. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, 
that he might bring us to God, being put in death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless. Have a wonderful day.